Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by one of the How I Quit Alcohol grads. Her name's Naomi. She's from New South Wales. She's a provisional psychologist and she's just an amazing, awesome human that I just love so much where we get onto our group calls and she gives some input and it's been amazing to watch her progress over the time that we've been working together. So welcome, Naomi. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. I feel really privileged after all this time of listening to your podcast to actually be speaking on it. It's amazing. It's so cool. I really love that when people have been listening for a long time and then they actually come on and share their story. It's kind of like paying it forward in a way. If someone inspired you, then hopefully you'll come on and inspire someone else when they, yes. they hear this podcast. So, I hope so yeah, tell us a bit about you. Tell us a little bit about when you started drinking and how it became a problem for you. Yeah, okay. So I guess my earliest experience of drinking was when I was 11. I actually was having a sleepover with my best friend and her dad, who is actually Serbian, had this bar in the corner of his lounge room and yeah, he'd be watching the footy and we'd sort of sneak into this bar and get these little bottles of all sorts of exotic European (laughs) spirits I think so we kind of did that one night and kind of mixed it in with our ice cream and yeah her mum came home and found us both vomiting and really unwell yeah so it kind of came out what we had done so yeah oh my god could she smell it or what Oh, I think we'd just left all the stuff in the room that we'd been drinking. So there's bottles and all sort of, oh, it was just awful, all mixed in with ice cream. And yeah, it was, it was pretty messy. And the dad had no idea what we were doing. 
behind his back. So, um, yeah, I remember being sent home that next morning and she called my dad, my mum and dad, and told them what had happened. So I remember it was a very long walk home just waiting to get in trouble. So I got in big trouble with my dad especially. Oh, my God. What? Whose idea is that? I mean, 11, that's like. Yeah. That's like grade five, isn't it? Grade six, grade five. Yeah, grade five or six. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we just, both of our parents drank quite a bit. So for us, I guess it's just that wanting to try it out because the grown-ups are doing it. So, yeah, but I didn't, I didn't really mm-hmm. then drink again much until probably about 15 or so, I'd say, that usual kind of binge drinking on the weekends, going to underage drinking parties but I actually because my we moved around a lot so I went to a lot of different schools so I actually went to three different high schools we kind of moved from town to town because they were business owners so actually ironically they owned pubs so from when I was yeah about 12 onwards they were running like these small town pubs so I used to kind of sneak into the bar late at night and still a bottle of grog to take to the parties. So naughty. Yeah, very naughty. (laughs) But I was sort of always the new kid. And I think being the publican's daughter, I don't know, that was sort of seen as something kind of cool. I felt like it helped me sort of fit in a bit to turn up with the grog. So I kind of became known for that, like kids actually sort of putting in order. And, And the stuff we were drinking was just outrageous. Zambuca and Uzo and Masala and vodka. Yeah, really, you know, I never actually stole beer and wine because that stuff was gross. <laughs> yeah, mixing it with Coke and Sprite or whatever. Yeah. So that was kind of my teenage years. Did it give you a sense of, especially with the moving around, moving school to school was probably hard to make friends. So I guess being able to turn up as a publican's daughter and offer up these bottles of booze probably gave you a sense of acceptance and acknowledgement, I'm assuming. Yeah, it was definitely something I think I did do, yeah, just to try and fit in because I just, I don't know, I got just always the new kids. So, and, it, and it got harder the older I got because you get to a school and these kids have been together since kindergarten or something. So it was really quite hard to kind of break into those friendship groups as an older teenager. So that was kind of my way in, I guess, was through alcohol and kind of being the party girl in a way, like I'd always, I could always drink a lot, like even at a young age. I remember for my 18th birthday, there was actually three of us who all turned 18 around the same time. So we had a party in the backyard and I actually had 18, I drank 18 West Coast coolers to celebrate my 18th birthday. And I actually didn't, I don't know, I just didn't get that drunk and I wasn't that sick afterwards. So that kind of was the pattern actually for many, many years that I could actually drink a lot and it wouldn't affect me too much. It wasn't until kind of when I was older that I started just was affecting me in really negative ways once I was much older. And when you say it's affecting you in negative ways, can you give some examples? I guess, yeah, drinking to blackout stage. So I hadn't really experienced that when I was younger. That sort of became something more common sort of in my 40s, like I'm almost 49, and I'd just be drinking at home alone. I've got three young kids that I just, yeah, drinking red wine mostly until I kind of passed out on the couch. And then the next morning, not being hung over so much, vomiting and things like that, but just that the fear, as they call it in, in Ireland, that anxiety, I guess what, what it's known as now is just that really bad negative thoughts, the blaming, the guilt, the shame, all of that. Yeah, I ended up in some pretty dark places actually in the months sort of prior to giving up. Mm, that where we start to black out that's just such a scary time isn't it it's just horrifying and when it gets longer and longer as well yeah yeah and especially having kids just because I'm separated or divorced have been for quite a few years now but yeah so we'd sort of do shared care so the kids would be away it used to be weekends they'd be with their dad so I'd spend the whole weekend mostly studying but then drinking of a night time and still drinking when the kids were home as well probably not as much I'd kind of wait until they went to bed to get really stuck in and yeah just some mornings just waking up thinking trying to remember even what day it was are they with me or are they with their dad what happened last night and just not even sure if I said goodnight properly to them or yeah it was pretty bad. 
Oh, just I, I can't even like thinking about that time and, and remembering being like that myself and going through those same things in your head. It's just awful. It's horrifying. What do you think the alcohol was doing for you? Oh, look, I think in the later years, it was mostly about loneliness. When I separated from my husband, the kids were really young at that time, three-year-old twins and a not even two-year-old. And it was quite a traumatic breakup, I have to say. And probably the first three years afterwards, there was sort of some ongoing trauma related to that. So yeah, it was kind of numbing myself through all the, yeah, those experiences and then loneliness, I think really. As I say, the kids were often with their dad on weekends, which has changed now, but yeah, pretty much every weekend for about three years, I was home by myself. So a lot of it was about loneliness. Loneliness mm-hmm. is a real common factor for why people are drinking on the on their own. And one thing that you did bring up once in one of the grads calls was talking about one of the things that would drive you to drink, obviously, was when you were left alone without the kids. And that's like I see it all the time with single mm-hmm. single mums and single dads. Yeah. That time of being on your own is sometimes terrifying because we're not comfortable to sit in our own skin or we're missing the kids. Mm. There's so many reasons for it. How do you navigate loneliness now, even though we're fast forwarding here in the conversation, Mm. but those times of loneliness when you don't have the kids, how do you fill up that space? Look, I think that feeling, it's just not as intense now because when I was drinking, all those negative feelings and all those thoughts that you have are really intensified. You sit down of a night time, kids aren't there, drink a lot and have that, oh, poor me, woe is me, like I was a chronic drunk dialer, calling people. Oh, my God, me too. Yeah. <laughs> and it got to the point where some of the people who I would have on my Friday night hit list would stop answering the phone. Um, yep, me too. Yeah. Got to, yeah, sort of sidestepping here, but I was just remembering I would actually make myself a video. So at the end of the night, before I went to bed, I'd actually, and quite often I wouldn't even remember doing this, but I'd just check my phone the next day and I would make myself a video after drinking all night, just telling myself who I'd spoken to, anything important that I should remember, you know. Wow. Yeah. And it was oh, it was so horrifying to actually check my phone and find these videos of my drunken self leaving a drunken message. <laughs> Pretty oh awful. And that was, I think actually, in a way it was uh, as awful as it was, it was really good because it, I just was horrified at seeing myself the way I was and the way I was slurring my words and everything, knowing that I'd been talking on the phone to my friends, just thinking, oh, how do, how do they even put up with that? I can't even imagine what it's like to look back at that and see that. Do you still have those videos? No, no, definitely not. I actually, (laughs) I deleted them all straight away. As soon as I'd see them, I'd delete and I'd just go through that whole process. That's it. I'm going to stop. It's time. And of course that took a few years. But actually, funnily enough, my son found a video on one of my old phones that I must have missed and he just pressed play and here's the drunk me. So it must be from a couple of years ago. And he's like, what's this, mum? And I've just grabbed the phone off him and said, oh, oh, that's just me being silly long time ago. Delete, delete. Oh, just horrifying. Oh, wow. How was it to look back and see that the next morning? Would you feel like with the shame and the regret intensified just seeing yourself in that state? Yeah, it was absolutely awful. But again, I think it was good. It was just one of those things that I was doing in those sort of last year or two before stopping drinking that would just all add up to me finally doing it. Seeing myself like that was just awful. It's really interesting to you. I mean, there must have been, obviously there was a part of you that's realizing this isn't working for me because of the fact that I have to make a video to remind myself about what we spoke about. I can't imagine the amount of kind of that feeling of shame that would go along with that. Yeah. You have to make a video like that. Yeah, I know. Just And sometimes the video, like I'd be sort of going easy on myself, oh, you were drunk again, but this is who you to- spoke to. And then, but then the odd one, it would, I'd be really, it'd be my angry self, like really angry with myself for doing it again, Friday night, getting drunk, calling my friends. Yes. Cause there was one, my best friend in Victoria used to talk to nearly every Friday night, you know, we'd have drinks together for hours and there'd be times where I'd wake up in the morning, sort of fully dressed, 
with a phone next to me in my bed, like half a glass of wine on the bedside table and just thinking, oh my God, did I even say goodbye? So, you know, I'd send her a message and she, I remember this one time she said, oh, I just had to hang up on you because you weren't making any sense whatsoever. Oh my God. Yeah. So it's interesting now that same friend I now speak to as much as I can, you know, on on a Friday, but I do it during the day now. And it's amazing. I can remember the conversations. It's just, yeah, so much more value speaking sober than those drunk calls, that's for sure. Oh, God, absolutely. I have the same thing with friends, particularly when we're living in Bali and I should be on tour and I just get drunk on my own at home and then start ringing people. I said this before on the podcast, but I never forget the day my brother said, oh, I don't answer the phone if it's you mm-hmm. after six o'clock. Yeah, my brother said the same thing to me as well because he was on my list of people that I would call and he'd say, yeah, if it was like nine o'clock or something, he absolutely would not answer. Yeah. That's so embarrassing. <laughs> and then I've got other friends that I would ring that I knew were big drinkers and I knew like there's a yes. couple that just aren't judgy, so I wouldn't get a hard time. Mm. But then also my bestie, Lisa, over <laughs> here, a few times she'd go, fuck, you were drunk last night. I'm like, what? And I'd pre- try and pretend that I wasn't. And, yes. Ugh, she knew. Yeah. She, of course she knew. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. Wow, that's that's really, really huge. Like that's huge. I know there'll be so many people listening to this going, uh-huh, uh-huh, yep, yeah. that's me. I'd actually be interested in people messaging me after they hear this and letting me know like what <laughs> what links you've gone to to be to remember conversations with people yeah, or yeah. how this conversation you and I are having right now is resonating with people because yeah. so many people. I think I started sort of writing notes, leaving notes for myself and I couldn't, I'd be so drunk I couldn't even understand my writing. So I think that's why I switched to video. But, yeah, I definitely I recommend it as awful as it is, even just to try it, just to really film yourself when you're in that state because it's very, very off-putting. It's um, gross. I remember filming yeah. Ash when he'd be really drunk to yeah. show him the next day because sometimes he'd do things and say, no, I didn't, yeah. you know, and so I'd film certain behaviour so that he'd see it and he always hated it. Of course, never did it to myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. God, horrifying. It is a good idea yeah. if you're still drinking and get someone to film you at the end of the night. Oh, but then the shame and then I think, oh, no, it's not good to be driven by shame. But Well, that's it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Double-edged sword. Look, sometimes it's the thing, the driver, that gets Mm. us to go, you know what. Mark Purser was talking about this on our Bali retreat. There's two things that will sort of stop you drinking and then keep you staying sober. It's like horror and hope. Mm. There's the horror of the things that we've done and that kind of shameful behaviour and then the hope. And the possibility of change, that good feeling, that feeling of this feels really good. I want to keep going with this. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So obviously it's a big problem and, and loneliness. I want to dissect loneliness a little bit as well. Because mm. so many of us, and particularly in COVID, when that happened, people felt lonely and that just spiked so much addictive behavior in people. Mm. If you don't mind me asking you, what was the thing about the loneliness for some people, it's that they can't sit in their own skin or they don't like to be their own company. What was it about the loneliness that got you not wanting to be there in it, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think I can identify with that notion of just not wanting to sit with myself because I just felt at that point when the drinking was really getting out of control that I just really did not like myself. I had no respect. I had no, I felt, I couldn't say anything good about myself. I, I, I would get so caught up in my own negative thinking, that self-critic, just berating myself constantly, especially during that time where I was trying to moderate. I mean, I did that for years and, you know, you're just constantly beating yourself up. You're a failure. You're never going to be able to do this. So just yeah, constantly that inner voice. I just did not like myself at all. So I couldn't, the thought of sitting by myself, not drinking was, yeah, that was just horrifying to be with my own thoughts. Yeah. I just couldn't stand the thought of it. So yeah, it was definitely a real numbing, a numbing thing just to you have that first couple of glasses of wine and you get that little warm buzz, but then of course it keep going and going and going. Yeah. So just that really just did not like myself, had no ounce of care for myself at all. How does it get like that? I mean, I know how I got to that place, but how did you get to that place of just that inner critic being so loud and so strong that you just couldn't even stand to to sit with it? 
and having to escape it. How do you think it got to that point? Yeah, look, I think the experiences that I had in the later years of my relationship, I kind of lost any sort of sense of me as a good person, I think. And I had these three beautiful kids. Yeah, I think I just went through some traumatic experiences that just kind of left me reeling really and I just I kind of lost a sense of who I really was years before that I considered that I had a good life and a good relationship with myself but I think over over the years and the drinking it's a it's a vicious circle because I drink because I feel bad about myself but I feel bad about myself because I drink yeah Mm. that sort of happened for years yeah it just exacerbates it doesn't it that when the inner critic's strong and then we drink and then we wake up and then we're telling ourselves we're so shit the next day it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger yeah until we just can't stand ourselves yeah that's right yeah yeah Yeah. and that's Mm -hmm. and I think when it came to trying to the thought of stopping drinking I really struggled with that was a big thing for me was that sitting on the couch by myself without alcohol and when my kids aren't there, what am I going to do? How am I going to sit with myself? And I think that was probably the biggest thing that kind of put me off trying to stop completely for a long time. Mm, just that what am I going to do with myself yeah yeah and who I who am I without alcohol because it was such a big part of my identity for 30 years yeah I really struggled with that and actually even I haven't had a drink now for 15 months I think it is even still now I still have that identity sort of thing still trying to find my feet really and I know in the in that first year in particular of not drinking I just yeah, I was quite lost. I didn't know who I was. So it's a such a huge thing to get used to. I mean, obviously there's a thousand benefits to not drinking, but there are some things that I did struggle with. And one of those was the identity. Who am I if I'm not a drinker? Identity is such a big thing. I think so many people listening can relate to that. Like, who am I without the alcohol? I know I certainly felt like that at first. I think that's why reinventing yourself is so important or very helpful at the very least. Diving into new things, learning new things helps. Well, it certainly helped me with my mm. identity because it's like, yeah, who am I? Who am I yeah. without this? And yeah, I, think, yeah. I just think, God, and when we've done something for so long and it's so socially acceptable and it does sort of in a way create a persona that we carry around with labels, we've talked about that in the challenge, mm. who am I without the labels and how do I recreate myself and it's a very very scary concept for people yeah how did you get over that hurdle that kind of like jumping into that unknown abyss what got you over the edge yeah look it was a a really long process I feel like it was probably a good couple of years at least of being sober curious because I think for me I I often did Feb fast dry July things like that all along I've known that I drink too much and I didn't want to be like that. So I'd try these month here, month there of sobriety and absolutely hate it, I have to say, literally counting down the days to the month being over. But I do the month and I'd be really proud of myself. And of course, then I drink twice as much in the next month. But yeah, even then when I do the, the month here and there, I still never considered not drinking at all. It just wasn't on my radar. I feel like before I always thought of got drinkers and non-drinkers and I thought of the non-drinkers as being people who have always been teetotalers or people that have had a serious addiction, they've been in rehab and they can't drink. So I didn't realise that you could choose not to be to not drink. That was sort of this, this category that I hadn't really even noticed or knew that it was a thing. So for me, just yeah, doing the month here and there, proving to myself, oh, I mustn't be an alcoholic because I, I can go a whole month. But yeah, literally counting down the days, absolutely hating it. And then I realized, you know, and so a couple of years of listening to your podcast and, and a few other podcasts and reading all the quitlet and just getting all those stories in. And I start to realize that those people that I was listening to on your podcast and others were, I could really identify with them. They weren't those non-drinkers that I had categorized. This was a whole category of people who had a problem with drinking and chose to stop. And it started me thinking, oh, oh, okay, that's something I, I could fit in with that group. 
but yeah, the thought of even starting the challenge, it was 90 day, your challenge was a 90 day challenge. And I thought, yeah, I could do that. And then I'll go back to drinking. And I remember actually, I think it was our first meeting. I think it was you or Lyndall that said, all we wanted you to do for the next 90 days is not drink. And that to me was just this huge weight off. I thought, oh, oh, well, they've told me I'm not allowed to drink, so I'm just not going to drink. Mm-hmm. And and I honestly, that simple sentence was enough to make me not drink for that 90 days. But then obviously there was a lot of work that you have to do in, in that challenge, so keeping on top of that. But I just knew that doing the group challenge is what I needed because I tried so many times to do these things by myself and just kept failing, failing, failing. Like the naked mind, you know, the 30-day thing I tried five times and just, yeah, I just knew that I'd need, needed to do a group thing to really get me over that line. And then, yeah, I just kind of kept not committing. I still couldn't say, I couldn't say whole year. I couldn't say forever and I still can't say forever. But, yeah, I did the 90 and then there was some other... 90 days and there were some other group members who said they were going to go the six months so I was, uh, yeah I'll, I'll do that too and then it went to a year and I thought oh yeah I'll do the year and then the year was up and I kind of thought okay do I just drink now and then yeah I just I don't know I haven't made any promises to myself about how long it will be I have a feeling it will be forever but that saying that to yourself feels a bit scary. Do you know I've never actually said to myself this is forever like I know deep down I'll never drink again because mm. I just, I don't even want to drink again. I'm repulsed by it. Yeah. But I've never actually said to anyone ever, I'm never going to drink again because I feel like that's just sometimes that's too much of a statement or it feels too overwhelming. Yeah. It's just like every day I just choose not to drink. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. And I, I couldn't, on the other hand, do that day by day thing either. Like I know that that kind of an AA philosophy, that didn't quite sit right with me either. It didn't feel like a big enough promise to myself to just go one day at a time. So yeah, I've just ended up a chunk of it at a time as it, as it goes along. But yeah, the further it goes on, the more I just, I can't find any reasons to drink again. I've, I've ticked off all these different occasions, parties, camping trips, girls reunions, all these things that I thought I would never be able to be sober at even dabbled in a little bit of sober dating. (laughs) So yeah, I'm kind of ticking off all those boxes. And I just think I really would be hard pressed now to find a reason why I would drink. Yeah. I I feel the same. It's just like, I just don't drink. I think that's more what it is. It's like, I just don't drink. Uh, That's Mm. just out of my hands. It's not not an option because I don't do it. That's the way I sort of keep it going. And I think, well, I just never would go back for me, I just think yeah. I don't even want to go back there and I never want to have to get over that hurdle again of trying to get yourself back into that state of being clear enough to quit. I think it's good to have a good chunk of time to yeah. get you started and then see how you feel. Yeah. And definitely doing that, you know, playing it forward because I remember I did almost, I, I contemplated for a, a few minutes sort of drinking be- just before the one year soberversary because that was January the 16th and I was actually down in Victoria on a camping trip with some old school friends and they were all doing the day drinking and everything which is totally what I would have been doing with them but I managed to stay sober but on about the second night because they're for about three nights and I thought maybe I'll just drink on this trip and then when I get back home to New South Wales, back into starting a new job and everything that I just go back to not drinking and not think of it as a big deal. But Mm -hmm. then I started thinking, well, hang on a minute, it's 40 degrees where we are. I'm sleeping in a uh, swag with every night I was having one of three of my kids that was sort of rotating with one of my kids in, in with me, just waking up stinking hot in this tent or swag. And I just thought the first hangover in almost a year, imagine what it would be like. So I just, no, that was enough to just say, no, just keep going, stick it out. And really that trip, I mean, no judgment to the other parents. I mean, as I say, it was definitely me for many, many years. You'd go with friends, all the kids, they all look after themselves and the parents all drink from lunchtime onwards. And it was absolutely me every other time. But this time I was actually up early with the kids. I was out kayaking with them, just hanging out with them, waiting for the other adults to finally get up out of bed and you know, you wouldn't see them till about lunchtime. And it was, yeah, it was awesome just having that time with them. 
Yeah, well done. And when you felt that pull to drink, this is really interesting just for people listening and just to kind of note, I guess, what was it that made you kind of perhaps wobble a little bit? Yeah, I felt like I wasn't being as fun. Like some of these girls, I don't really see that much. I haven't seen them for years. And I guess probably the last time they saw me, yeah, I was the one up till last one standing, drinking, drinking, drinking. So for them, they were probably seeing a very different me. And I just felt like I was being boring. Like some of them were sitting up till two, three in the morning, gas bagging, having a good old laugh, but I was going to bed at midnight. And I just sort of felt a bit bad that I wasn't doing that with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think in the end, it was just staying sober was more important in that moment. Yeah. It's really important to recognize too. It wasn't that you wanted alcohol as such. It's more that you wanted to either please them or you were more worried about what they thought of you than actually even wanting alcohol. It was probably more a people pleasing exercise. It may have been rather than actually wanting alcohol. Yeah, I think so. There would have been that element. Not that they even, yeah, they never said anything. And I think, yeah, they all fully respected that I wasn't drinking. They thought, you know, it was quite amazing Mm -hmm. knowing what a drinker Mm -hmm. I was. It's almost like our own internal story that we tell ourselves, which is often not true too. The fact, yeah, they'll think I'm boring, blah, blah, blah. But they're actually probably looking at you thinking, wow. Yeah. And I think that, but it was like, because these were the girls that I literally used to underage drink with back when we were 15, more than 30 years ago, it was, I sort of felt a little bit like that in a 15 year old kind of wanting to fit in, wanting to to be the the fun drinker like I was Mm. back then. So yeah, it was interesting. It's really interesting to notice that that shows up. Like what's this actually about when we get the wobbles? This is a great thing for people listening. What's actually going on? Is it that I want to drink or is there more to it? Is Mm. it my need to fit in? Is it my people pleasing? Is it a story that I'm telling myself? If we can give ourselves that little bit of distance just to kind of dissect it a little bit rather than react, often we find it's just a story I'm telling myself that's not Mm. true. And is this the 15-year-old part of me that's wanting to fit in or what would it be like for me to put on my big girl pants and just front up as the adult now in this moment, which is what you did. You have to sit through the discomfort and also unpack it a bit. It's such a great learning tool. It's so fantastic. Yeah, yeah. For sure. and yeah. Look, each morning that I did wake up, it was like, yes, I did another night of no drinking. Yes. So I was, it's like building that sober muscle. And some mm-hmm. of these situations are really, really hard, like camping trips, catching up with old friends, catching up with fam. Like, yeah, it was a big trip for us, catching up with lots of family and friends, and traveling all around. And normally, it would have been just an absolute booze tour for me but it was amazing because I got to have conversations with people that I remembered there was no none of that regret the next morning and I think it's even worse when you're kind of visiting back home you don't go that much normally when I do when I'm drinking I catch up with friends because you only see them every year or two or something and it's like that real crazy you get together and you drink and you talk and talk and talk and then you leave that weekend or whatever and just with regret because it's like oh I can't even remember what we talked about I won't see him again for another year now I made a dick of myself again <laughs> you know it's just so yeah doing those sort of things sober every time you do it it's just such a good feeling to keep ticking those things off And it's just coming out of something, feeling intact and feeling whole Mm. and feeling proud of yourself as opposed to coming out, feeling all those negative things that you just mentioned. Oh my God. It's like night and day. It's like, Mm. wow, wow, wow. It's so, so amazing to just feel proud of yourself coming out of it. And sure, there's times, look, I get it as well, being around some of my old friends and I feel like, oh, there's this part of me that wants to still fit in or still, Mm. but it's just noticing that that's showing up and just, this is okay. You'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Just, just learning to accept the kind of new you as we talk about the identity thing to sort Mm, of. Yeah. Yeah, to just be thinking, well, instead of lying in a hot swag till lunchtime telling my kids to go away every time they came out, you know, actually getting up and getting out with them, it's like that's the new me. And that was obviously a big thing for me 
big driver in stopping drinking was definitely for my kids because when they're very young, you sort of think, oh, they don't know. They don't really know what alcohol is. They see me with this glass of red liquid. They don't really understand. But then obviously as the older they get, the more they start looking at what you're doing and noticing when you're acting a bit weird and when you're feeling off the next day and grumpy. And that was a huge thing for me the change in my general mood. Like as a drinker, I just felt, especially in those later years, I was just constantly angry, angry with myself for trying to moderate and failing, angry that I drank again so much last night or angry that I'm doing this in front of the kids again and being snappy with the kids because I drank too much. Ultimately, I was just angry with myself the whole time. And unfortunately, sometimes taking it out on on them, just being a real grumpy bitch of a mum for a lot of the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And short fused. Mm. You, know, you notice when that short fuse, because we're feeling so crappy about ourselves. Yeah. 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 And doing the, rushing them into bed, you know, hating the bedtime routine because it just takes so long. Mind you, I still don't love it because it takes so long mm. for them to actually go to sleep. But yeah, when you're drinking, because you have well, I would, I'd have, I say you, but I'd have a couple, you know, five o'clock would be my wine time. So I'd have a couple, probably two or three, and then they'd go to bed. But yeah, and then I'd get really stuck in just wanting them to just get in and go to sleep and just shut up. It's my time. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I know a lot of mums experience that and then just the guilt over doing that. And yeah, as they get older, they start asking questions. Like my son, when he was probably about seven, nearly 10, because we live on a rural property, but I go in and pick them up and obviously bottle shop, I try to go to the bottle shop and stock up for, for the night or whatever before I pick them up so that they wouldn't always be at the bottle shop. But invariably I'd be running late or something. So quite often they would be with me when I go through the bottle shop. And my son said one day, mum, why do you drink wine every night? And I said, well, I don't know. He said, well, do you have to, do you have to drink it? Well, I don't have to, but I find it really hard to stop. I kind of gave an analogy of when you've got a whole bag of lollies, trying to explain addiction to him, I guess, but just saying if you had a whole bag of lollies, would you find it easy to just stop eating them or would you want the whole bag? And that's kind of what I was like with wine. It was like there was no, if Mm. I opened a bottle, there was no way that was going back on the shelf with a lid on. Mm. Um, But, yeah, the kids just starting to ask questions, why are you drinking all the time? And, they, and I think I really do think that they start thinking that it's because of them. I yeah. think by, you know, through that behaviour you're saying to them, you know, and, and you would literally, I've found myself sometimes actually saying, oh, come on, kids, just go to bed. I want to have a wine or it's my turn now or something. And they start yeah. believing that they're the reason why you drink, which is so unfair. Yeah, and kids internalise everything. They make everything, they're egocentric little buggers, Mm. and they make everything about them. And so unfortunately when they're seeing our behaviour or seeing us sad or full of anxiety or no energy the next day, they do often think it's to do with them. Even if they're not vocalising that, that's what they're seeing. That's how they're experiencing the world, which is really sad. Yeah. It's really sad. It's amazing, isn't it, when they start to ask those questions. Like that's amazing and what a thing to have to kind of answer well this is why I do it why do you need it do you need it yeah. and then you're saying it's like having a bag of lollies that that's a pretty confronting question and yeah. answer to have to kind of yeah, yeah. Face. and it was interesting I don't know if it was in that same conversation but yeah sort of might be when they're a little bit older so before I'd stop oh no it was after I'd stopped actually and we talked again about addiction and sort of what that means and we talked about wine and things like that And that same son said to me, I was explaining how people find it really hard to stop because of the way that it's made. It it makes you want more and more. And he said, so it's just easier not to drink in the first place then, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, Uh, absolutely. Just don't (laughs) even drink in the first place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how much were you drinking at the peak of it? Well, you know, I was doing that thing where I'd, I thought it was red wine that was making me crazy and blackout and all that. So I kind of stopped that. But yeah, so basically, I think I, I would say that I was averaging, I'd always start, say when I was drinking the red, but I'd always start with, want to start with cold drinks. So I'd have maybe two beers or two or three Proseccos. And then I'd crack the red wine and at least one bottle of wine, sometimes two bottles. If I was, yeah, gas bagging to my friend on a Friday night, I could easily get through two bottles of red. 
And as I say, I never really got really badly hung over physically. And I think that was kind of the turning point for me too, that I was sometimes I was drinking that amount and going to the gym the next morning after drinking two bottles of wine, I'd be doing the punishing on the treadmill thing and not feeling Mm. that sick. And that was sort of, yeah, where I started thinking, no, this isn't right. I shouldn't be able to drink that much and not be sick the next day. That's a lot too. That's quite a lot of alcohol to Mm. consume. No wonder you're blacking out. Yeah. Yeah. And, but then I do that trying to, so I wouldn't drink three or four nights a week or three nights at the most if I could handle it. But then you spend the whole time just obsessing about whether you're going to drink or not. And if you are going to drink, how much, that mental gymnastics, that kind of torture. And that was one thing too that I really was such a relief not drinking in those early days and still now, but really in those first few months, I mean, it was really hard to not drink because it's so, so habitual. But it was so much easier not to, to just not drink at all because it was yeah. such a, just a mind fuck really, just every single day, am I going to drink, how much, when will I drink again, that just goes on and on and on. And to actually make that decision to not drink, even if it's just for a while, just gives you so much room in your brain. You're just not, you don't, you're not having that argument every hour of the day. It's so, so much more amazing. bandwidth just by yeah. that one decision of just like, no. Nah. I just don't do that. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was was really surprised at the realisation of that, that it's easier not to drink because I honestly always thought, Mm. oh, no, it's too hard. It's too hard. I can't do it. I'm never going to be able to stop completely. It's too hard. But really it's actually easier. Absolutely. Once you've made that decision and you're in there, you can actually, it's just, okay, that's the decision. That's the choice. It's so much easier than moderation. Yeah, I just know now that I can't do what I tried for years and years and years and it's just painful even trying. So, yeah, it's literally all or nothing. Yeah, just the thought of, I, like, I know I can't moderate. Most of us listening to this podcast probably yeah. can't. That's why we're probably listening or that's yeah. why I'm hosting this show because it just <laughs> it just didn't work for me. But now I think about it now, I think I don't even want to moderate. We were talking about this in the grads call the other night, like staying connected to yourself and the importance of connection, whether it's connection with group and connection mostly to yourself. I see the drinking the alcohol is we're disconnecting from ourselves. So I don't want to be disconnected from myself for really even a moment anymore. That's just from doing the work and doing a lot of exploration and having this relationship with myself that I don't want to be disconnected anymore. So no, thanks. I don't want a glass. I just don't want it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I now know that there's no such thing as one glass for me. So there's absolutely, even after this amount of time of not drinking, I just know for a fact that it will not be one glass if I do have a drink. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Same, same. So tell me a bit about getting to that point where you've decided, right, I'm doing it. I'm going for it. What got you there? Yeah, it was really those moments I was having of the next day after just letting myself down again and just that self-hatred and the the confidence I really really had a massive confidence issue and I was getting further and further along in my studies in psychology and was getting more and more I don't know how to explain it I was getting my confidence level was decreasing the further I got in so I really thought I was going to completely muck up my studies so I had I had my master's last year and that's where, yeah, your challenge was starting in January and I thought I just can't blow it. I'd already at that point done four years of study. If I blew the master's year, I'd be so disappointed with myself. And I just, the year before, I found many, many times where I almost quit because of the confidence thing and it was definitely linked to the drinking. So that was kind of one of the things I just thought, just spend the year focusing on my studies so I can just keep progressing. And yeah, just how I knew it was going to help with my confidence because it was really, really bad. And within a few months of stopping drinking, I just started noticing that I I started getting my confidence back after, I don't know, 30 odd years. I started believing in myself again and, and really taking in, I could actually do the work. I'm a good person. I'm not a bad mum. I can do this. And it was definitely the alcohol that was holding me back in all areas of my life. So yeah, getting my confidence back, it was quite dramatic actually just within a few months. I mean, I still have times where I just don't know about myself, but we all do compared to what I was like before. 
I really, mm. yeah, nearly threw the towel in quite a few times and it was absolutely because of drinking and lack of confidence. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How are you dealing now with loneliness? So obviously you're still having times where you feel lonely without the kids. How are you coping with that now? Yeah, actually, I don't really experience it that much anymore. I feel like because I can sit with myself and actually enjoy my own company, yeah, I can actually now get lost in my own thoughts and it's not all that the negative thinking. It's more, there's more positivity there and there's hope and there's planning for the future and just sort of looking after myself more now. So, you know, I'm working a lot more, but I'm just spending more time on myself and thinking about my future and just absolutely happy to just sit with myself for a while or do some yoga or do some meditation have a sober conversation with a friend. The loneliness thing, yeah, I hardly experiencing experience that now at all. Or the boredom. I used to get mm. bored. If I wasn't drinking, I'd just think everything was boring. There's so much to do and there's so much to think about. There's so much planning and there's so much fun. And yeah, there's just, there's not enough time to be bored and lonely now. I feel exactly the same. I've spoken about that a few times here on the podcast. Of like, I couldn't go for a walk on my own. I'd bring 10 people Ooh, mm. get into a panic if I had to walk on my own. And sometimes then I just wouldn't go if a friend couldn't join me. And now I can't think of anything worse. I just want to walk on my own. And I really cherish my time on my own. And Absolutely. getting bored, never. I never, yeah. ever, ever get bored. I just don't. There's too much to learn. There's too many books to read. Yes. It's like there's not yep. enough hours in the day to get stuff into my head that I just yeah, yeah. love absorbing and or just being, just journaling or just sitting outside looking at the trees. I just love it. Love it. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. To think that in the early days of not drinking, you did feel like there was all this time and this kind of big empty hole. That's what I felt like anyway. It's just like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Because you just, you just don't know. You've got to unlearn years and years, decades of how you used to fill in your time by drinking. All of a sudden it's like, oh, I've got all this time but what do I do with it? And then, yeah, gradually you just absolutely fill it with really nice, nurturing, self-care, proper connections with people. There's so many other things you can be doing with your time, that's for sure. Now, what got you to that place of being terrified to be on your own to really, really enjoying your company? Like, Because people, I'm trying to think for people listening that say haven't done the work or haven't done a challenge or haven't got there yet, but probably think, shit, well, how do you get there? What's one of the things you'd say to someone that is listening going, well, how do you get to that place where you don't feel bored or you don't feel lonely? What's one of the key things that you'd say for someone listening? Yeah, I think for me, really being curious and just noticing and being open to whatever's going on and really doing and you know we did we did this in the the challenge just really sitting with what you're feeling processing instead of just filling the gaps with distractions and things like that because I know it, it it's scary and it's hard to really dive into finding out who you are without alcohol but there's no hurry just taking your time just being really curious and really noticing what's going on both in your mind and in your body just sitting with it, accepting all the changes, just being really curious and really noticing how you are developing and changing once you take alcohol out and just being totally open to it. And it's, yeah, absolutely Mm. hard at times. It's really hard and scary, but it's absolutely just so worth it. And just, and I think not be in a hurry. For me, I I think I felt like I was going to quit drinking and straight away I was just going to be this amazing person who was going to be jogging on the beach and smiling all day, every day in the pink cloud. (laughs) I got a bit impatient about the pink cloud it didn't come for a while Mm -hmm. and it sort of would disappear a lot as well you sort of get a little glimpse of it but yeah just being patient there's no hurry because it's a long journey I mean yeah as I said I've only done 15 months and I'm still getting used to things still noticing things still feeling awkward at times just being patient and yeah open I love that. And I I think it's so important to learn to feel what we're feeling and to not, like you say, not jump from one thing to the other or try and distract ourselves, but to go, 
oh, hang on a minute. What's what's going on for me? Why do I feel the need to go and do this or, or go and get busy? Or why can't I just sit? Or why do I not want to sit in my own company? What's happening? Mm. And just having this curiosity without judgment, just with yeah. complete, okay, just, yeah, what's happening for me right now? Asking yeah. that question is so powerful. It's so life-changing. And mm. seeing if we can just take some pause to sit and what's happening in my body, what's going on for me, what's the story I'm telling myself. It doesn't take long to start that as a practice. You just learn so much about yourself. that It's not like you have to keep doing that all the time. What's going on in my body? What's happening? Although it's still mm. helpful. But you just, I don't know, it just changes the way you are with yourself. You get to understand yourself. The relationship we have with ourselves is the most important relationship we'll ever have. So to have a conversation with our body, with what's going on with ourselves, it's so life-changing. And But like mm. you say, it doesn't have to be, right, I'm good at this right now. Like it's been, for me, it's been years, years of just slowly unraveling, slowly, slowly. Mm. We don't have to get to the finish line. That's yeah, the beauty that's of right. life. We get to just experience things as they come in and watch them and be curious and learn and things change all the time. So just take it slow. Yeah, yeah. that's it. And go go easy on yourself. Don't beat up on yourself. I think when you have those moments where mm. you think, oh, I can't do this with a group situation too, I guess there's sort of a lot of comparison sometimes where, oh, they seem to be doing really well. How come I'm not there yet? Mm. That sort of thing. Just not beating up on yourself if you feel like you haven't reached where you think you should be. That's that thing about being patient and being kind to yourself Mm. as you go through the process, especially in the early days. And I also don't think we should be anywhere. We should just be where we are Mm. with acceptance. Yeah. Yeah, just be where you are in this moment. And if you're having a hard day, even just having some acceptance around that, you don't need to be anything other than you are. There's a reason if you're feeling terrible, there's probably a reason for it. And Mm. maybe something's coming up or it's an old memory or something's triggered you, but that's okay. Just sit and be with it. And you don't need to be anywhere else. We give ourselves such a hard time for not being picture perfect or not being exactly where we think we should be, but just accepting where we are. Self-acceptance is just so important. Yeah. And also I think it does take time to switch from that mindset of just self-hatred and shame and embarrassment and everything to some self-love and kindness Mm. that can really take quite a while. That requires a real flip of mindset. So just, yeah, gentle, gentle, gentle with with that because that will take a while for sure. Yeah, slowly, slowly. The self-love, it takes, yeah, it takes a long time, I think, especially when we've been so hard on ourselves for Mm. so many decades. We've really trained ourselves to speak to ourselves badly. So it takes a long time to undo that. And even though in the challenge, I might have people standing in front of the mirror declaring their love for themselves, but really that's just to show probably how uncomfortable it is to experience that. Mm. But then it's, it's a slow process of undoing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. And yeah, I think for a lot of us, even looking in the mirror when you're drinking is a really hard thing to do because mm-hmm. you just don't like what you're looking at. So yeah, even that's a slow process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I know for you, one of the things we spoke about was Christmas. And when we had that grads call about Christmas coming up and there was that thing for you, you were worried about not being with the kids for the first time sober at Christmas. Mm. And we spoke about having a plan about what you were going to do on that day. Can you talk a bit about that and how that ended for you on that day? Yeah, look, it it actually ended up changing because I did end up getting them for the second part of the day. Normally we do a year about, but as things have improved a bit in the co-parenting, on the co-parenting front that, yeah, there's some more flexibility. So I did end up getting them in the afternoon, but Yeah, I was really worried about how I would go. So I had a plan that I was going to self-care the shit out of it. (laughs) So I was going to, yeah, push myself to go out because I live in this beautiful area. Yeah, this lovely, lovely place just surrounded by paddocks and trees and the river and farm animals. And yeah, it's absolutely stunning where I live. So yeah, I got up quite early in the morning and headed out for a walk. So I was out for about an hour or so. And it was just absolutely just a beautiful day. And I really did experience that. It got me thinking about past Christmases and Christmas Eves where I've totally written myself off and, you know, being so sick. Kids get up early and just wanting to do or not, yeah, just wanting to die from drinking too much and stuff like that, just that those thoughts of what a bad mother I was. And, yeah, this year the kids weren't there in the morning, but I just wanted to make the most of, 
not having a hangover, not having all those regrets. So I just out I went and actually I, I had my phone with me. So I took a few photos as I was going and put them up on the group to kind of share the beautiful walk that I was having. And it was just a Christmas day. I've never experienced one, a sober one from as far as I can remember. So just really looking after myself, just self-care, just, yeah just doing whatever I could to feel good about my decision not to drink because that, yeah, that was getting close to the year finishing. Not for one moment, even though the kids weren't there Christmas Eve, there was not one moment where I thought, oh, I could drink tonight. Just absolutely didn't want to. So, Mm. yeah. So any sort of big monumental occasion that's coming up that you're a bit worried about, I think firstly, A, having a plan, but secondly, just celebrating yourself, celebrating your choices and I love how you were just going hard on or wanting to go hard on the self-care or just taking in your surroundings. And I think to me, what I'm hearing is there's a bit of gratitude in there as well for about where you mm. live. And so it's yeah. really just having gratitude, having a plan and just celebrating yourself and your choices can really make those times that you could feel a bit sorry for it, for yourself or feeling like, oh, woe is me, but you really turned it on its head to make this mm. a beautiful celebration of myself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I and I think, amazing. yeah, Christmas and New Year's, well, on nearly every occasion, it's so hard for everybody because they're all such huge boozy occasions. So it's definitely, yeah, I thought I would get the wobbles at that time of the year, but actually I didn't. Playing the tape back actually this time mm. was really mm. helpful, just sort of thinking about past Christmases and just what a terrible mess I'd get myself into. So just, yeah, just being grateful for being sober and happy to be alive and just totally different experience this time. Totally different experience. It's it's amazing. And it, you just handled that so well and everyone was barracking for you. I know that because <laughs> it was something that you're worried about and you just did it so well. And it's great for people listening. I think that's something to think about. If there is something big coming up, okay, well, how can I celebrate this and celebrate myself, celebrate my choices rather than feeling down in the dumps or focusing on the perceived bad part of it but just yeah finding some gratitude in the situation yeah Yeah. and I think yeah reframing it and I remember hearing that in in the early stages just sort of instead of saying oh I can't drink it's not fair just turning it into I don't have to drink yay because it is such a positive thing that you don't have to drink and for so many years I honestly did not realize that You know, I was brought up to believe that you just have to drink for every occasion, bad day, good day, wedding, funeral. We are just made to believe that you have to drink. And if you don't, you've got to have a really good excuse. Why not? You know? Oh my God. Imagine if people were saying, (laughs) just something sprung up in my mind there. If people were saying, well, why aren't you drinking? Imagine if your comeback was because I don't have to. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, one of my favourites is when people ask, why aren't you drinking? You respond with, well, why are you drinking? Yes. Just flip so it great. around. Yeah, I reckon that's quite thought-provoking. I love yeah, that. It's, there it's we go. Totally... We've got two two great yeah. comebacks for people because a lot of times that's a big thing for people. What do I say? Okay, we'll yeah. say because I don't have to or put it back on them. Well, why do you have why, to? Why are you drinking? Yeah, why are yeah, you drinking? Yeah, yeah. What yeah. are you drinking? Oh, man. Yeah, so uh, that's yeah. my challenge to everyone listening today. If someone asks you that question, hit them back with one of those two and just see what happens. Yes. I'd love to hear some responses with that as well. Amazing, Naomi. I mean, there's so many things that we could dissect and talk about. Can I ask you what's one of the greatest things you've found in your sobriety, Jenny? What have you learned about yourself the most? I'm not such a bad person that I'm not boring. Like I think I always... I don't know, I've been kind of plagued by this idea and I don't know if it's from being the new kid all the time. My biggest fear was that I'd be seen as boring. So, yeah, I don't think I am. (laughs) Mm. Um, And I think that was a huge thing to why I drank because I didn't want to be boring. So I think I've probably got a lot more interesting things to say now that I don't drink. I think that that I, I do actually have more to offer that, doesn't involve just being the last person standing, drinking the boys under the table kind of thing. And think yeah. how boring that your friend had to hang up on you. <laughs> so. I know. Because oh, <laughs> you were making this, that's boring. Yeah, saying the yeah. same thing over and over again, telling the same stories, that's boring. Yeah. So, absolutely. yeah. Uh-huh. If you could go back and speak to your 15-year-old self that was supplying booze for everyone because she wanted to fit in, what would you say to her? Yeah, I'd be tempted to say, look, 
like my son said, it's probably better just to not even drink in the first place. But I know that as a 15-year-old, there's no way I would have listened to that. I think just try to be yourself. Just drinking alcohol makes you someone you're not. Just try to be yourself more without alcohol. Yeah, yeah. What would that be like to give that advice to your adult self now? I can sit with that now. I can handle yeah. just being myself a lot more than I used to be able to. Yeah. I'm still I'm still finding out who I am, but I don't think I'm too bad. Yeah. These days. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you on that one. You're not too bad at all. <laughs> You're a beautiful you. asset to our group and I'm so privileged to know you. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story today. It's been awesome to just have this chat and it's brave of you to come on and, and share. It's not yeah, easy. Thank you so, so- yeah. Thank well you done. so much for having me. Yeah, it's been really great. Thank you. Thanks, Naomi. Speak soon. Bye. Okay. Bye. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.